Hello and welcome to another MotoGP podcast from TheRace.com as we surge into the 2020 season. Four races in, three different winners on three different types of motorcycle. Quattararo doing the double at Jerez with Yamaha. Binder blitzing Bruno for KTM. And now Davizioso on Ducati in Austria makes it five years on the trot. A Ducati has won in amongst the mountains. But... The Austrian MotoGP race for 2020 will be remembered for one thing. Sadly, not the thrilling race that it was and that victory by the Italian, but for the terrifying crash between Franco Morbidelli and Johann Zarco, during which their bikes speared across the inside of a tight right-hander at the top of the hill and within an inch of square-on hitting Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales. It's a regular saying that there were just millimetres in it, but this time there genuinely were millimetres between what we saw in Austria 2020 and what could have been a truly chilling story. Toby Moody here with Simon Patterson, who's on the ground in and around the Spielberg circuit in Austria over the last weekend. Simon, did you see the bullet that everyone dodged? Did you see it fly over your head? (laughs) Uh, kind of lost for words even 24 hours later that's the most the most terrifying crash I've ever seen in 20 odd years of being in this industry where, where no one has died or been seriously hurt uh, what could have been yesterday is almost unmentionable you know um, like you say millimetres in it and if it had gone the other way we would have spent last night writing obituaries and this podcast would have been a very different tone today But we had somebody smiling down upon us uh, yesterday. That's the main thing. So we have to move on and look forward. You know, I I first went to that racetrack 25 seasons ago, back in 1996. It was actually called the A1 ring. Ironically, in the 250cc race, Max Biaggi and Olivier Jacques had an off. Quite minor compared with what we saw yesterday and a different kind of crash. But in 2002, there was a huge crash in the Formula One Grand Prix between Nick Heidfeld and Takuma Sato, a carbon copy of what we saw in MotoGP yesterday. Um, I wrote on Twitter, we've all written things back and forth on Twitter. I've said, you know, we've had it once, we've had it twice. Please let there not be a third time. So... We're stuck for this weekend because there's a race this coming Sunday. But going forward, I know we're only journalists and we're not the circuit operators, but things have got to change. Things have to change. The The nature of the corner is just too, too dangerous because of the angles involved. That's what needs to be changed. You've got a, a fast left kink leading into a very, very slow right-hander. And because of the angle, if anything happens in the exit of the left kink, you're firing bikes at 200 miles an hour across the line through the right-hander. So, you know, the, the one of those corners needs to be changed, as far as I'm concerned. It either needs to smooth out the kink so that the angle's a little different, or you need to look at the way that the riders drop into the right-hander. It's not a small project. It'll change the whole nature of that part of the track, of the first sector, but... You know, yesterday proved it has to happen. I've looked at the pictures like you. I've looked at the videos and you still think that it will be different every time you watch the the, the, the footage. I still 
don't even know which bike hit the inside air fence. I don't know whose bike it was, and it sort of doesn't matter for this part of the conversation. But had it not snagged that air fence on the on the inside, then it would have been going across the other riders at not 200, but a mere 170 miles an hour. Um, if it had then gone across the racetrack further up the hill, across the gravel on the outside of the circuit, it would have hit the barrier square on. It, it it would have it would have then injured a marshal. It would have the 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 the, the debris the the collateral would have gone into a fence and damaged it and all sorts. It's it's ongoing. The difference between yesterday and the Formula One crash eighteen years ago is that yes they've they've hooked that air fence round a bit to try and stop it, but it's the fact that it's just such a big stop from two hundred to a first gear corner, whatever speed they're doing, thirty five forty miles an hour. It, it's not a flowing kind of Beckett's maggot Silverstone thing, is it? That's maybe the the problem. Well, you know, we're we're, we're talking about the corner needs to be changed to make it safer, and I think the thing is, it's not like you're ripping up a maggots or a Beckett's, is it? It's not like you're ripping up one of the most beautiful corners on the calendar to do it. You're ripping up a first gear hairpin that no one likes anyway. So what's to lose? And ironically, of course, that is the shortcut from the original Österreich yeah. ring, Zeltweg A1 ring, the, the, the A1 ring that it was. Now, the original circuit goes up the hill, doesn't turn right at turn one, goes through the Hellelicht chicane and on round to the, there's a, there's a hay barn. <laughs> That's still there. And everybody yep. says, well, why don't Red Bull with all their billions of euros do it? They've got a massive planning permission problem with the locals. That's exactly what I'd heard as well, that they own the original piece of track, but they're playing the long game to get the planning permission to extend the track there. Um, As anyone who's been to the Red Bull Ring in recent times will be able to witness, the entire area around the circuit at the minute is beautiful. Everything's neat and tidy. Everything's freshly painted for the races. That's because Red Bull boss Mateschitz is investing millions, not only into the circuit, but into giving grants to all the local area to tidy up their properties and have nice restaurants. It's all part of a PR game. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I think maybe the reason that they haven't changed that corner, despite it being asked for over and over and over again, is that they know what the eventual plan is. And that involves going back to the old long track. Mm. And it would be wonderful if that happens. Yes. Uh, it would be likewise mind-bendingly quick to then come down to turn four, um, where we saw Quattararo go off in the Grand Prix. You know, it's quite a run from up there down to there, but they'll get round it with a, with, a, with a wiggle and a chicane and a yeah. Well, you you and you know you come on down at turn three, don't you? The current turn three. Because then you yes, get the yeah, room to use saying. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you can use that to come on down and smooth out the corner and turn four. There's all sorts can be done. There's, There's all, all sorts, sorts can be done. Yeah. It's um, it's not a lack of money. As uh, no, as uh, as somebody brilliantly said when uh, when I was there, I said, "Oh, what a wonderful race you've put on! It's so good. Congratulations! You know, credit where it's due." Toby, it makes a difference to run a Grand Prix when you don't need to make profit. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it became clear. I uh, I took the the owner 
or the, the, the boss of one of MotoGP's other circuits to the media centre last year for the first time on the Thursday. And he walked out of the lift, walked into the media centre, looked out at that view over the entire paddock, the entire track, looked to his left, saw the fully staffed restaurant that they provide for the media, looked to the right and saw the amazing huge projector screen working area, and he just said a single bad word. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, however, I... Uh, I did mention a couple of days ago on my Twitter account, it's going to be one of those seasons that's just going to be different. And I mentioned it at the top of the programme. Here we are, four races in. We've had three different winners. Does anybody else want to win? Are we going to end up like 2000 with eight different Grand Prix victors throughout a season? I've got a vibe it's going to be, and that's the smile on my face that you can hear in my voice. It's just <laughs> brilliant. We got away with yesterday, so let's park that yes. for a minute. But... Wow, what a season we got ahead. It could very easily happen. You know, all we need next weekend is a good shower of rain before the race. And suddenly Danilo Petrucci or Jack Miller's a race winner. Then we go to Mizano, which is a Yamaha track. Maybe Vinales can do it. But also Marquez might be back and decide that the Honda needs to win the second race. You know, we, we can easily have that sort of 2016 nine winners in a row again. Not undoable. What about, had the race not been red flagged yesterday, what was Paul Espargaro going to do? They've been testing there, their focus yeah. is there, he's fired up because his teammate won the race that he thought he should have won. He didn't have another medium tyre in the bag for the second race yesterday. Um, when he That walk, when he got into the garage, I watched him and I thought, I know what you're going to do. You're going to override and you're going to not win the next the next race. Little yeah. did I know at the time that they didn't have the right tyre yes. back on the rack. Yes. Because they'd used them all up over the weekend. That's nobody's fault. You, you never really bank on a red flag. You can't, can you? But yeah, he's he's my favourite for this next Austria race. Yeah, if he can if he can control his temper. That's that's his problem at the minute now. That's two races in a row that his his temper and his stubbornness has cost him a win. Mm-hmm. And Andrea Davizioso, having stood back from the Ducati team at the beginning of the weekend, goes and wins the race 1.3 seconds ahead of uh, Juan Mir and Jack Miller. You just you couldn't write it. I mean, the scenes in Ducati after the race, they're all hugging and laughing. And uh, and, and Davizioso's manager, Simone Battistella, was completely overjoyed and hugging with Chibati and Tardozzi and co. And you sort of think, well, I thought you fell out three days yeah. earlier. What's Two going on here? You were at each other's throats. But being serious, here and now, if Ducati needs somebody to ride that bike for next year, can they swallow their pride and sign him? Can they find a way back to do it? That's the problem for me. But it's their choice, not anybody else's. I don't know if it is or not anymore. Go on. Uh, so from what I can gather, money has been not the issue here, but maybe the tool through which he uh, through which Davizioso has been trying to find a value for his worth. Lever himself. He asked purposely, I think, for more money this year than last year to make Ducati say, yes, Andrea Davizioso is worth this much money. He, they offered him half of what he asked for. And I think 
that has done the damage. I think if they came back to him now and said, we'll give you what you're on right now, which is the midway point between the two figures, from what I can gather, he'd tell them to stick it. You see, it's a pride thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a that's pride it. Thing. And, 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 the, and the trouble is, if you ask for 10, never mind what currency we're in, if you ask mm-hmm. for 10 and somebody says, no, you're actually worth five, you do half a job subconsciously. Yeah. If yeah. somebody pays you fairly, you get up earlier and you work hard to do the job mm-hmm. and you risk your life. And you do those extra miles and you just hold that throttle on for a bit. If you feel you're being undervalued, like we've seen in in many of the junior classes when Dorna have put riders into teams that don't work, they just ride around in circles. Yes. They just ride around in circles because they can't get on with anybody. Yes. It's just burning petrol. But, you know, if you've got the team, you know, you've got the Valentina Rossi team, you've got the the, 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 the warmth of, of other teams around the paddock. We don't need to go into them, but you know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, I know what you mean. But if a, if a team doesn't work, then, as I say, you're just burning hydrocarbons. So it's a pride thing. And Davizioso, he's not a Ferrari buying, Monaco living, no. gold Rolex, new Lamborghini, gold wheels, purple leather. He's not one of those people. It, he, he's probably still got that little blue motorhome that he's had for the last 15 years. There's a great scene in the uh, the Davi Andante documentary that Red Bull did where, you know, they go for a family holiday and it's his dad's motorhome that he uses for going motocross racing and a few tents and a few cars and a barbecue and paper plates. And that's, that's Davi in a nutshell, you know. And what that makes me think is... Right now, he has no options. We know that. There's no plan B, they said on Saturday after the announcement. But if someone like Aprilia came knocking, or even KTM, because, let's be honest, Iker Lacona might not be the most secure in the world in Tech 3 for next year. If someone like them came knocking and they said, look, we don't have the money to pay you the... 10 that Ducati want or that you wanted from Ducati but we can pay you three and instead of it being 20% of our entire race budget like it was at Ducati it's 50% of our race budget because we've got less money Dovi might say well you know what that value is my worth where do I sign but also if he's been spurned by Ducati the fight to to give him the to, to give them the two fingers that motivates people a lot <laughs> and and at his end of his career that does motivate me you know it, it's doing a valentino going to yamaha in the first place i was just to about do, to say to Ducati, it didn't work but you know doing a schumacher going to yeah. ferrari it's the same thing so i mean obviously they've they've said they've they've banked on it's this it's this much money or the highway and Ducati have gone no yeah oh i've got no other options um the bizarre thing is, Lorenzo said he was leaving, and that weekend he won the race. Yeah. Davizioso said he was leaving, and that weekend he wins the race. You couldn't make it up. There, <laughs> there are questions about Ducati's people management skills. <laughs> yeah. When are they going to fall out with? Well, them? they've they've done they've done the same mistake that uh, plagued Aprilia for years and years and years. Uh, you know, Aprilia went through the. You know, the Sam Lowe's, Scott Redding debacle because they had an engineer running 
the race department. They had Romano Albisiano, who is a fantastic engineer, running the show. The minute they brought in Massimo Rivola from Ferrari F1, a people person, to run the people side of things, everything improved. Ducati used to be a team that had a stellar reputation for being good people managers whenever Paolo Sabate and Davide Tardazzi were the people where the buck stopped. But then Gigi Deligna came along, became their boss. He's an engineer, a very, very good engineer, but things haven't run as smoothly since. If I could be so humble to my Italian friend, they won a world championship with Livio Supo. Yeah, absolutely. They haven't won one since. No, no. And then, of course, on top of all of this, you've got a bit of a crazy Italian CEO in Claudio Domenicali who loves to just fire off comments into the media that really wind up the writers. That's where it all went wrong with Lorenzo. Yeah, twas ever thus with Claudio. Yes. He, twas ever thus, and he is a character. Um, but he was, he, was, he was boss of the racing department when Livio was there. Yes, he was. And when they were winning with Stoner, he's just now boss of the, the whole lot. Yes. But, they, you know, it's worth remembering the week before Le Mans, before Jorge Lorenzo kind of sounded like he was going to split with them, Domenicali said in an interview that Jorge Lorenzo is a great writer, but he's not good enough for us. Jorge Lorenzo's Twitter byline still says, not just a great writer, a five-time world champion. Like Mark <laughs> Webber when he won the Silverstone Grand Prix. Not bad for a number two driver. <laughs> oh, Simon, thank goodness we're laughing. That's the main <sighs> thing. Oh, Today could have been so know. much different. Uh, I just, I'm tingling. I'm tingling. It was, it was horrible. And, and I'll tell you what, I've commentated on worse things than yesterday. Um, but as you get older you you don't yeah i don't i tell you what i would have said it would have just been the first thing that came into my head you don't swear it mm-hmm. th- th- you don't swear when you're commentating trust me people think why don't you swear why don't you <laughs> f and jeff it it just doesn't happen the little swear fairy, fairy comes in and turns you <laughs> off let, let, let's 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 talk about valentino he he came back to the garage and that onboard camera looking back at him and he just banged the top of his crash helmet. You know, mamma mia, did that just happen? And he and he shook his head and he was he was spooked. Wouldn't anybody? That's just fundamental human DNA, psychological. I nearly got killed. We've all had close close calls in yeah. our lives. But they've had more than us because they do 225 miles an hour at Mugello. They've had accidents. They've got away with it. They've slid on the tarmac at 150 miles an hour. They've knocked themselves out, hurt themselves. That was a big moment. How in heaven's name did they all get back on those things 20 minutes later and ride up to that first corner? I don't know how they do it. Me neither. Me neither. Especially yesterday, um, few complaints last night from riders afterwards about uh, the TV coverage, about the, you know, it seemed like for the 20 minutes of the red flag, all we did was replay the accident over and over again while the guys are sitting in their garage watching. Yes, I read those comments and there's a really easy solution. Turn the television off. Turn the television no, off. No, I'm sorry yeah. because I'm not having a go at you, Simon. It, it, it's, it's turn the television off because everybody's okay. Everybody's alive and kicking. And the TV feed needs to get out of the circuit to the to the people at home. That's what makes the sport turn television. So it is it is difficult, um, but um, they still did it, which is even more, uh, as you say, even more impressive. Uh, and and Rossi finished up in fifth position. 
I thought when all those people rushed past Maverick Vinales that he was spooked. But so did what I. was all that about? That was a, a clutch problem. He spent the first three laps of the race with the clutch slipping. Thought it was mechanical. Thought he was going to have to come into the pits. And then suddenly it bit and he went again. He was fuming last night about it. Because he saw Rossi finish fifth. You know, he, you always think you can beat your teammate. So in his eyes, he should have finished fourth. Which would have been good points in the board for the championship. And instead he, you know, languished. He had another terrible result. Down in 10th position. Yeah. 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 That photograph of Vinales with his hands off the bars, oh. holding his crash helmet as one of the bikes came. I think it's the, the, the Yamaha. It's Morbidos, yeah. Came over his head. I mean, holy moly. I've never seen that kind of reaction before because usually they don't know it's coming, but he could obviously see the, 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 the first part of the debris coming over. Hell's yeah. teeth. Um, okay, uh, haven't talked about uh, a little superstar who always goes well in Austria. Joan Mir, second position, yeah. podium. Yeah. What a boy. <laughs> On a Suzuki. Yeah. <laughs> On a, you know, oh, that bike's good for turning. It isn't good at horsepower. They can't do anything in Austria. And suddenly he's within touch and distance of the win. One mirror in the podium has been coming for a long time. It should have happened at the end of last year if it hadn't been for those horrible, horrible Bruno testing injuries that I still don't think re people really realise how much they set him back. Um, but To interrupt, arguably, if that testing accident had been filmed, it would have been worse than what we saw yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a... So the, 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 the reports I heard from the end of that accident were the sort of things that only happens at the top of Brands Hatch GP circuit whenever a BSB bike has a brake failure. They were cutting bits of a tree to get a bike out of it. Big. That's the sort of forces that were involved there. Um, but I I know I spend quite a bit of time chatting to one's crew chief, Frankie Carchetti, who is of course British, grew up racing in BSB. Frankie maintains that the closest rider on the grid to Mark Marquez is Juan Mir because of his braking style and because of the way he tackles corners. Sylvain Gantoli told me one day he literally does not understand how Mir can break so late. You know, this is a World Superbike champion saying, I don't know how the kid does it. So you get to a circuit like the Red Bull Ring and he was quite, quite happy to say yesterday, oh yeah, I'm making up two metres and everyone else on the brakes. Two meters. That's immense. Yeah, and that's that's what he did. He yeah, the bike has downsides and horsepower, but he clung on. He did what he had to do. All came together. Uh, a bloke who won there on Moto Three back in twenty sixteen, and here he is twenty twenty. He's on a Moto GP yeah. podium. What a great fairy tale. What a great story. Absolutely. Um, but of course, he only got that second position with. 300 meters to go in the race because Miller was a solid second. He was doing well. He was defending well. And he just broke those two meters too late into the penultimate corner. He washed wide and Mir did the, the Davizioso, the Marquez. And he was through last corner. It was done. So Miller would have been spitting feathers for a bit, but he was very magnanimous by the time they got to Park Ferme, as Miller is. He's a very fair bloke. Yeah. He's hard, but he's fair. Um, uh, so the Miller got that got that third position. Ducati first and third. Hmm. He's also an Andorra resident and a training partner of one mirror, which probably helps. 
they're all part of the Andorra Massive. They're all mates. The Andorra Massive. <laughs> Do they have a merchandise brand for that yet? You you joke, but yes, there's cycling <laughs> gear that they all have. There's matching cycling gear. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brad Binder, nowhere in qualifying. And there he is in fourth position at the end of the Grand Prix. He's in fourth in the championship. He's 26 points back of Quattararo, who still leads the championship only by 11 from Davizioso. But Brad Binder gets fourth position. Talk about the invisible man in the race. I did not think that four races into his MotoGP career, after four seasons on the bike for Paul Espigaro, that Pitt buyer at KTM might be going to Paul and saying, see what Brad's doing. Just try and do that. Can you imagine if we'd put a bet on that? Consistency. Welcome to the Race <laughs> MotoGP podcast. Simon and I are on our boat in Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if there was a bet taken in January? Jeez, Toby, these gold-plated microphones are very heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Brad Binder, yeah, I mean, now he's got a race under his belt at that circuit. So the crest of the wave that he is on will just make this weekend's race a complete do not miss Grand Prix. It's, Absolutely. It, it's, oh, I can't wait, can't wait. I, I genuinely thought when we saw what Mark Marquez did in 2013, that it would be a long time before we would ever see anyone who could be a rookie champion again. It's not impossible. And it's not mm. impossible. It's a long shot. It's a long shot right now. But, you know, look at everyone he's racing against. Look at everyone else that's won a race this year. He's got as much chance as all of them. Uh, look at the championship leader. The wheels have fallen off the Yamaha. Yeah, yeah. Look at the championship leader, who was only eighth yeah. yesterday. Um, exactly. I did right, you know, a couple of days ago. It's going to be one of those seasons. It's it. Nobody. Yeah. It, it will go down to that last Grand Prix. It just will. And that's going to be interesting. And, you know, how refreshing is it? How refreshing is it for us journos to not be? Mark Marquez won the Grand Prix. He won it by five point three seconds. Mark Marquez now <laughs> leads the championship by a clear race yeah. wins worth of points, and we're only at race four. Yeah. That's what's exciting. Sorry, Mark, but it's helped us in another way. Except for maybe a three-month period in 2015, Mark has been the title favourite since the middle of 2013. Yep. You know? And it's just, it is refreshing yep. to have things mixed up a bit. I mean, if we went through all of those results from mid-2013 to the end of last year, but took him out. What <laughs> yeah. a great championship that would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's actually what we're seeing this year. He's just erasing him from the top of the sheet. But, and I think this is worth mentioning, I don't know how different things would be if he was here. Because this year has been so upside down that, you know, I think things would be just as interesting. As he proved in Hareth in race one. If he hadn't crashed... He still wouldn't have led the championship after round one and it would have still have been a cracking weekend. And of course, the reason that he went, that he did crash, was that he went off in the first place because he was over pushing. Because that, that bike is not the pinnacle that it used to be. It's still pretty darn good, but it's not the pinnacle that it used to be. It's not the sledgehammer that he would use to just bulldoze for everybody. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, Nakagami therefore leading Honda yesterday, sixth position. 
you know, all the uh, all the HRC engineers have all of a sudden moved into his garage. <laughs> I've seen that happen before. Um, but, you know, that's the way it is. And, and he's doing well. He's doing well. Uh, he's, uh, I'll be straight. I always used to argue with Julian Ryder about it. He used to rate him and I never rated him. I never rated him. I, I know he's better than all of us put together times 100, but... I just didn't see why he was so lauded in Moto2, but he's got to step up to the plate now. Um, um, and he can't do any more. He can't do any more. He's probably no. been given bits that, of course, he never tested. For sure. For sure. Well, bearing in mind that there's a storehouse full of parts at Honda that were built for a bike that no longer exists because the 2020 bike was essentially scrapped. So, you know, they're running a testing program mid-season at the minute in a way, having Bradle back on board is actually probably doing Honda more good overall in terms of being ready for 2021, especially with the uh, the development freeze next year. That's actually probably, you know, doing Marquez a favour. Mm, and, and if anybody's good at playing the long game, it's HRC, without a doubt. Yes. Without a doubt. Uh, Danilo Petrucci, seventh. Don't care about that. What a cool picture Gareth Harford took. <laughs> I I saw that picture um, in FP3 on Saturday morning straight off Gareth's camera with no context and thought, oh, Danilo had a big moment there. And then Gareth messaged me to say, no, 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 not a moment. That's how he rides the bike through that corner. It's incredible. The, the ballet of physical forces, just everything about it. It's a work of art. It's just wrong. It's all wrong. <laughs> but it looks, the bike looks a gazillion dollars. There's something yes. about the colours, the angle, the way that that moment in time has been encapsulated. Yeah. Danilo's got a, his right leg, not just off the peg, hanging out in the wind. Yeah. He's got one or two fingers on the brake. The suspension is disappearing up into the radiator, into the dash. <laughs> It's just fantastic. The bike looks like something out of Tron. There's that many wings and aerodynamic appendages hanging off it. It just, it looks, yeah. It's, it is very much modern MotoGP. Go to at Gareth Harford, H-A-R-F-O-R-D, Harford, Gareth Harford. Uh, and there's a picture of him, uh, Danilo Petrucci, on the Ducati. It's on full squish. It's a massive stop from 200 miles an hour. It's got chrome livery. It's got the blood red of Ducati. It's got the weave of the carbon fibre you can see on the wings. It's got those cool wheel fairings, which I just think are achingly, fantastically <laughs> cool. Danilo, not the slimmest of gyms, shall we say. No. He's, uh, he's got his own merit of downforce, hasn't he? But, and, and, he's, and, he's, and he's holding on. It's a, it's a gazillion dollar shot. It encapsulates MotoGP 2020. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a big shout. Big shout. Well done, Gareth. Uh, friend, <laughs> friend of this podcast. Um, Very much. Uh, Fabio Quattararo, championship leader. Mm, you know, second Yamaha, but still eighth. He, were, he went off in the first race down the bottom of the hill at turn four. Yeah. Had to rejoin at the back. Didn't do himself any favours. Now the youngster needs to listen to the old guys in that garage and just listen 
what he needs to do for these remaining races as a championship leader because as, yes, at that age, he won't be able to work it out for himself. No, that's it. But, you know, he's surrounded by Johan Stigerfeld and Wilco Zielenberg. Exactly. Been there, done that, got the team shirt. Yeah, exactly. They're the people that he needs to be needs to be listening to at the minute, like you say. Mm, mm, exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, Bradley Smith got some points for Grassini. Yeah. His teammate, Alasia Spagaro, was a couple of places ahead of him. Thought that Aprilia would be a little bit further up. Alasia will be upset by that. Yeah, he he was. Um, I think their their problem is Alicia's problem is that he wants results now. You talk to Bradley, and he's you know we we had this conversation last weekend. Bradley's talking about the one thing that Aprilia's missing is time. They need time to develop the new engine. They need time to figure out the electronic strategies that make it tick. They just need race smiles under their belt. Then you talk to Alish, you tell him what Bradley said, and he says, yeah, yeah, but we don't have time. This is MotoGP 2020. <laughs> it's so as Bagaro, the pair <laughs> of them. That's just, you know, that's Bradley and Alish in a nutshell at the minute, which is, in a way, is great for Aprilia. They have two perfect riders in that regards and how well they work off each other at the minute. But... Um, doesn't make it easy. You, you, you know the scales of justice that are on top of the old Bailey in London. Should we move that to the Aprilia truck? <laughs> the slightly, slowly speaking Bradley Smith and the rather mad Alasia Spagaro when he's not having a Twitter fight with Danilo Petrucci after qualifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Alasia and Twitter fights with other writers is... Oh, standard fare, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, yeah. My, my, my main... Uh, joy about this one is that I'm not involved in it because the last time he fell out with someone on Twitter like this it was Josh Brooks and it was because of a tweet I had posted quoting Alish and I ended up involved in the whole argument put the phone down Simon <laughs> put the phone down <laughs> well all I had quoted was Alish saying that Mategi was too dangerous to ride in the wet oh that one yeah yeah Josh Brooks then called him a girl at which point Alish told him that he was a nobody who'd never won anything in his life. And uh, then Anna Carrasco and Leia Sayers chipped in to say, what's wrong with girls riding motorbikes? <laughs> Got yeah. quite heated, that one. Got quite heated. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've seen last signs on the Dakar. That's She's another level. Another level, <laughs> as is uh, Anna. So, yeah. Um, and poor old Cal Crutchlow, that wrist, it's, it's not... It's nowhere near right, um, and I feel quite sorry for him because he would be up there in a normal, a normal physical state. Instead, he's getting fifteenth, and I think that's a shame. He, uh, not the full story from yesterday's race. Um, he thought he was on for better than that. He thought he was on for sort of top six, top eight. He came out of a corner. Can't remember where he said it was. Got in the gas. The bike went boo. He thought, oh shit, we've blown an engine. We have a problem. Looked at the dash, no warning lights on, and then realised that the bike was in third instead of second. Described it as the worst mistake of his career that he didn't limp away from. <laughs> that's quite funny. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. It's copyright crutch low. Very good. Very good. Um, coming back to uh, Franco Morbidelli. He's probably lost an engine. We won't know yet, but he's probably lost another engine with that huge accident. I wouldn't be surprised, but 
it sounds like there's a little bit of rare sunshine for Yamaha with the whole engine problem once they get some politics out of the way. So what we're hearing is they've diagnosed the problem. There was a manufacturing fault with their valves. They put dodgy valves into 20 engines for the season. They've all started to go pop. But they've now figured that they took, after the very first engine went pop, which was uh, Maverick Vignale's in free practice at her F1, engine was flown straight back to Japan out of his allocation, opened up, they discovered the problem. Now, obviously, a manufacturing fault like that is something that they can open the engines and replace, even though they're sealed. They can reseal them when they're rebuilt. They can reseal them, because it's not a technical upgrade, it's a safety issue. However, to do that, they need the approval of all five other members of the Motorcycle Manufacturers Association. And what it seems right now is that four of the five have said, yeah, no problem, go for it. Honda, missing one Mr. Mark Marquez, have said, ooh, we're going to need to see the full technical breakdown of exactly why you need to replace your valves before we're going to give you permission to do it, please. A little bit of stalling tactics. We'll just probably slow down the process maybe a week until Yamaha compile a metallurgical report about what has happened, etc, etc, etc. And then they'll be able to open the engines and stick in some fresh valves. Assuming that the engines that they've already taken out of allocation, but not actually formally withdrawn, aren't badly damaged, they'll obviously get a chance to see them when they open it up. They'll stick in some new valves, and then potentially that adds two new engines each back into circulation. I wonder who does the metallurgical uh, report, because you can't let Yamaha do it, because otherwise they're marking their own homework. But uh, To be honest, I think given the tactics that are going on here, it doesn't really matter who does it. I think if it was done at the back of a crisp packet, that would be fine for Honda, as long as it took a week to do it. Yeah, yeah. And let us not forget that Hareth 2, Yamaha 123 on the podium... Nothing yeah. wrong with those Yamaha engines that day. No, exactly. That's the sticking exactly. point for me. But they're, but they're sticking plaster right now, uh, while things have been still up in the air about what the problem was, was to stick a, was to reduce the revs by 300 RPM. Sure, sure. So they're down on par. Down on, yeah, and yeah, yeah. at this place... Uh, tell you what, somebody who wasn't down on power at Austria won, Paulus Bargaro, you know, he came out of that first <laughs> corner, he came out of turn three, yep. and it would just belt past, it would belt into that penultimate corner over the crest. Blimey, O'Reilly, it's got some go, hasn't it? And the entire secret to 2020 seems to be that they figured out how to put all that power on the ground. Yep. That's the difference all this year. All that talk, get it on the ground. And in the end, it didn't work out. He had to put a soft rear into the bike for the second race, and he knew that it wouldn't work. The bike essentially wasn't set up for that soft rear for the race. He wanted a medium rear, didn't have a medium on the on the rack because he'd used them all over the weekend. And it started to go backwards and go wrong. And then the clash with Oliveira, I did, we didn't see it from the outside. We only saw an onboard coming together did Oliveira fall into pole did they both fall together they've 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 politely kissed and made up Paul made himself look like a bit of an idiot after the race to be perfectly honest because he described the crash the way everyone else in the world described the crash last weekend with Zarco he said he was way wide Oliveira was a little bit wide. Both of them went for the same piece of tarmac. Neither of them saw each other because they were hanging off the side of the bike. They made contact. They fell off. It was a racing incident. 
which is exactly what happened with Zarko the week before, except Zarko didn't fall off. But Paul is still adamant that that was entirely on Zarko trying to knock him off on purpose. He hasn't come out of the last few days looking very good, Paul. Stefan Pira was there all three days. He's the boss of KTM. Hubert Trunkenpultz, the T of KTM, was there all three days. Uh, Pit Bari, Jens Heinbach, uh, Heinz Kinigadner, all the big bosses were there. Never mind other board members who are probably not in the garage that we didn't see on television. Just say you're sorry, big smile and whatever. I know you're leaving at the end of yeah. the year, but there's a long way to go. Um, and as we yeah. saw in 2017, things can fall out at KTM and, and they can put pressure on riders and they can exert that pressure very strongly. And 2019, let's not forget Johan Zarco. And 2019, Johan Zarco. He put pressure on himself, I rather fancy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Hareth camera incident didn't really do him any favours, did Not it? Not really, no. But I'm happy for Zarko at the moment. I'm genuinely so I. happy. I thought he was a complete fool last year. I felt a bit sorry for him. Uh, again, another person who, who, who didn't shut his mouth or put his phone away kind of thing. He was <laughs> saying bad things with the camera running. Um, and here he is, you know, that pole position last time in Brno. He's doing well. He's on the podium uh, for the team. They've never had a podium before until last weekend in Brno. A fantastic, new, fresh beginning. Gives the mechanics hope. Puts a spring in their step. They'll get up an hour earlier. They'll work harder. Yeah. And it all works to get the result. Um, so, you know, Zarko's had a turnaround. It can be done. Of course it can. Of course it can. It is a team sport. And like you say, you know, the team are responding. You can see the team are responding. You can see the bikes look cleaner and neater and tidier. And, the you know... There's fresh fairings more often and there's a bit more money and a few new sponsors. Everything looks on the up at Aventia. Or a sponsor armor racing as it's now called as they've rejigged sponsors around. No, it's uh, it's, it's, it's good times, good times. Yeah. And uh, we all quite like an underdog, don't we? Who doesn't? <laughs> we all quite like an underdog. Um, well... Uh, what else to say? I think we've uh, I think we've covered everything. Um, you're going to disappear into the Styrian Mountains for a few days and then uh, be track not track site Freudian slip there. Apologies, Simon, <laughs> but be around and about. Uh, so yes. you're as close as you can get to any MotoGP action in the forthcoming weekend for actually the Styrian Grand Prix. It's Indeed. just easier to call it Austria too, isn't it? <laughs> um, but uh, hopefully everybody will, will calm down, have a few days rest, uh, count their lucky stars, ring their friends that they haven't rung for a while <laughs> and, uh, and go with it. Because by the way, we haven't mentioned Moto2. Equally yeah. as spine chilling. I mean, Dominique Agata. Yeah. How he how he rode underneath a front wheel with two shockers flailing around it and carrying on, and uh, Bastianini shaking his head, thinking he'd just seen something terrible. How how Hafiz Sirin managed to, you know, face plant the ground at record record a Twitter video before the end of the day. <laughs> that too, that too. How did he do that? We talk a lot about track safety. But it is worth giving a shout out to the good people at Denise and Alpine Stars. Airbag suits, better helmets. People shouldn't have walked away from the injuries we saw yesterday, the crashes we saw yesterday. That's 1.1 millimetres of kangaroo skin covering your ass on a motorbike. You know, that 1.1 yeah. millimetres, and either it's cowhide or kangaroo hide, mm -hmm. riders have different preferences. And then the airbag, you like me, you've had it 
deployed on you and it's quite yeah. something it's like a bear hug and it's it's instantaneous technology it's taken hundreds of thousands of kilometers of development it's mandatory of course for every rider to have it on the grid it has been for some years um and you know it, it hitting other motorcycles is the major thing that we have had over the last uh, yes. 10 years hitting you know about lewis salon was another discussion but the majority mm-hmm. of really horrible accidents has yeah. not been the directly the track's fault directly one person yeah. crashing and they're on uh, you know what i'm trying to say so uh no we shall see we shall see well let's uh, keep those fingers crossed and uh, thank our lucky stars uh, Keep in touch with the latest MotoGP and Formula One news through the-race.com. Simon Patterson will be updating the website throughout this week, going into Austria 2 with all of the latest MotoGP stuff. Do like and subscribe to this, the Race MotoGP podcast, wherever you download your podcasts from. And join us next time as we talk about the next race, that is this coming weekend. Same place, same riders. Will it be the same result with another Ducati victory? Or will Paul Espargaro get what he thinks should be his first MotoGP victory that he thought he was going to have last time out in Austria? It really is one of those crazy years of MotoGP. I certainly think so, and Simon Patterson certainly thinks so as well. Thank you, Simon. Pleasure as always. Until next week. Until next week, from myself, Toby Moody, it's goodbye.